0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Thursday, uh, January the 19th, 2023. We've done many shows on knowledge, on how we know what we know, Uh, and how we should use what we know to our advantage or perhaps sometimes our disadvantage. My guest today has an interesting thesis. He believes that everything in us, all our experience, can actually benefit us. Even childhood traumas can be used, according to him, to empower future success. He believes that life experience... It's like a mine, often um, unmined within us, that we can use for our benefit. Um, He is the author of a new book, Experiential Intelligence. Um, Soren Kaplan, ironically enough, he told me just before we went live, is named after Soren Kierkegaard. But I think this wisdom or this knowledge or this philosophy would be something that Kierkegaard might not like. Anyway, Soren, not Soren uh, Kierkegaard, but... uh, Soren, uh, Soren, Soren Kaplan is joining us from Bellingham, Washington. Soren, welcome.
1: Thank you, Andrew. Good to be here.
0: Did you ever forgive your parents, your French father in particular, for naming you after Kierkegaard?
1: No, I've never forgiven him. No.
0: Could he do anything? Anything? to? Fix- <laughs> you should have renamed <laughs> yourself. You probably should have renamed yourself from Soren to John because... The founder of your school of philosophical thought is John Locke, of course, who for, for him everything was experiential.
1: Yeah, you know, I think that, um, you know, I, I had a unique upbringing. Uh, I was named after uh, Soren Kierkegaard. My, my parents, my father was studying uh, theology at Harvard, and my mother had uh, grown up in the Himalayas in India, uh, to Methodist parents, uh, and she grew up meditating with the monks in the Himalayas. And they met at Harvard, which they dropped out of pretty quickly uh, as they were seeking in the late 60s uh, spiritual enlightenment. And somehow we landed uh, on a farm with a guy named Richard Alpert, also named Ram Dass. Uh, and uh, we spent uh, an- uh, about six months there. And then, you know, we bounced around. I, I, pro- I think I moved by the time I was 15, I moved 16 times in my life.
0: Um, Wow, when my kids now, my my children always complain that they've moved too many times in their life I can use you as an example of someone who who moved at least um, equal amounts and they actually had one parent who went to Harvard who was also ah. slightly odd although that's another (laughs) subject Um, Soren, do you think your parents mind their own experience or was this something that they were slightly oblivious to?
1: You know, I think they were going through life trying to have experiences that would kind of give them greater meaning and purpose. Um, my mother, at age three, she developed a, a pretty significant mental illness. So I grew up with a lot of uncertainty in my home and a lot of confusing behavior. Um, and, you know, I, my parents also moved to California and joined kind of a fringe spiritual community also. Um, That really was the guidepost of all of what they did and what their meaning was. And I I was, I had a lot of, um, or very little structure growing up. Um, They were seekers and I grew up in a a very kind of somewhat confusing environment for a kid. And so, you know, I, you mentioned it in the intro, like I, I had a lot of trauma growing up um, and I've had to overcome it and heal from it. And I have also benefited in certain ways from it, which is sort of kind of the theme of my book as well. Like how do we look at our experiences and, and mm. tap into the strengths that they give us?
0: Yeah, I mean, you've come a long way in, in a way. You're a, a, rebel, a rebel against rebellion. You're a, a best-selling author, a columnist, a columnist for Inc. Magazine, a keynote speaker. Uh, the author of a couple of other books, Leapfrogging and The Invisible Advantage, all about business. So in an odd way, you, you've deeply rebelled against your parents, haven't
1: you? <laughs> That's a good insight. Um, one of my traumas well, was, goody,
0: uh, it's fairly obvious. Sorry. You don't <laughs> have to be Kierkegaard to figure that one out. <laughs>
1: Um, I've been working on that one actually. Um, you know, one, one, one of my childhood challenges was feeling really neglected, really like literally, uh, and not valued. Um, so the way I have compensated for that, uh, and it's pretty explicit. I even talked about it in my book is I tried to achieve, I tried to get external validation that I didn't get growing up in certain ways. And I think I overachieved and I became a workaholic and I did a bunch of stuff that by practical measures, you could say, Oh yeah, I worked with all these big companies. Great. But, inside i didn't really feel like i was successful in the way i think i you know i wanted to be and it's a different measure of success and that's sort of what i'm arguing is that we we all have experiences we can tap into them and we can leverage them and how we define what they can deliver to us in our own definition of success it can contribute to our both our our external success and what we're trying to do in business or life, um, but also our personal satisfaction in life as well. Do
0: you think some of us are have a, a kind of quantitative utilitarianism built into us? I, I think I might do. Sometimes when something annoying or bad happens, it, it annoys me for a while or upsets me, but I always try to turn it to my advantage um, and say well I learned from that or I benefited from that or this came out of that um, is this something that needs to be nurtured or is it just naturally built into us I'm assuming as a as a and you believe that this is something that at least can be picked up and developed
1: I, I think to a certain extent it can but I you know I know for for myself and in a lot of the leaders that I've worked with like we've got blind spots and I had many blind spots and kind of have you know, been an automatic pilot at various times in my life, but I also think, you know, you've talked a lot about, you know, Buddhism and kind of meditation and how do you, you know, tap into kind of a more grounded place. Um, so you're more aware of kind of what's driving you. And I think that that's possible. Um, you know, when you, when you look at what experiential intelligence is, I mean, just to kind of put it into context, we, we know, you know, we've had IQ for a while, emotional intelligence we've known about for a while, and there's this third element that no, not a lot of people are talking about, and it's how our experiences in today's disruptive, fast-changing world contribute to success, and how we're able to kind of navigate the world. And we don't, we haven't had language for that,
0: and we haven't uh, had a structure. I for take that. your point, but it's you're quite brave, Soren, to at least in this piece argue that childhood traumas can empower your future success because it suggests that we can separate ourselves from those traumas, that they can exist outside of us and then we can learn from them. But other people might say, well, once you've had a trauma, particularly, you know, really, really disturbing ones, they shape you so profoundly, so deeply
1: that we can never separate ourselves from it." Well, I, I don't know that I disagree with what you just said. Um, I think that I can look at my life and there's this scale called the ACEs scale. It's, it's Kaiser Permanente created. It It looks at childhood traumas and I score pretty high on that ACEs scale. Um, And I can look at the things that I've had to deal with and I've gone through a lot of healing and, EMDR, eye movement desens- desensitization response, which is kind of a therapy to rewire your, your brain and your biological response. And there's research behind that in recent books, like The Body Keeps the Score that outlines that. And I've done meditation. And I can look at the healing part of that, but also look at what that gave me, meaning you know, living it with a lot of uncertainty and a lot of confusion and having to make decisions at the last moment growing up gave me the ability to hedge bets and work with limited data and do startups and transform organizational cultures and help people see patterns in you know complex situations. And so I think that there's things that it's kind of two sides of the same coin. How, how do we heal from the things that impact us in a way that don't serve us well? And how do we look at those things that is just part of our life that happened to us? and look at them with a the lens of what are the strengths or abilities or ways in which I think that actually I can can leverage in some way to move forward and just kind of keep moving forward in some positive way. Yeah, it's
0: a very interesting thesis that we should harness the, the power of experience for our own personal business breakthroughs, because I think the culture Soren is going the other way. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think more and more people, particularly younger people, seem to be harnessing the power of experience to justify failure, to justify discrimination, to justify anxiety and happiness and and unhappiness. Do you see some of that?
1: I I do see some of that happening out there. Um, I see that and... I also see a trend around how to create greater resilience and how to look at the things that happen to us. I mean, you look at some of the popular books out there. Oprah's written a book, What Uh, What Happened to You? And it's about looking at the things that, you know, the traumas that happen that shape us, not as a deficit that's you know, you're scarred for life and you're a bad person, but that you kind of externalize and say, this thing happened to me doesn't make me a bad person. I'm going to let, I'm going to look at that and I'm going to recognize it's not about me. It's about the circumstances. And then how do I move through that and move forward? And, you know, one other data point, this is really interesting. Cause you talk about the younger, younger generation. Um, the, the percentage, like when you think about like, what makes somebody successful today? Is it their intellect gives getting them a job and getting into college? Most, um, Younger people, age 18 to 29, this is a Gallup uh, survey, basically say they don't see college education as, quote unquote, very important. And that went from 74% to 41% are saying that today. Like, college education is not important for my future success. And I think that, that that's telling us also something about society in that, well, what is important? It's If it's not the scores and it's not college, we're also moving in a direction of ra- around well, it's it's our experiences and it's our abilities that maybe we're getting from other places, and you know I think that we're also seeing that trend as well.
0: One of the themes, uh, Soren, that's come up many many times in this show over the years is the value of storytelling, the importance of storytelling. I wonder if this is also bound up in your arguments and in experiential intelligence. Obviously, we need to tell stories to ourselves in, do- in order to make sense of our life. But uh, this, this is a book focusing, I think, in some ways on leadership. A lot of people who want to be better leaders will pick this book up, Experiential Intelligence. Are you arguing people should, for example, when they're rallying their troops, they're on one-on-ones with people, should they be talking about their childhood anxieties and experiences? and 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 making sense of that in their own career and then their storytelling about themselves and others
1: yeah it's it's a great question you know i'm not advocating you bring in your trauma stories to work i'm i'm suggesting that we all have stories and we all have an opportunity to look at them and figure out what strengths they gave to us cuz this is this is all based in positive psychology and looking at kind of the assets we bring. So if you're in work and you're a leader or you're in business, the question would be, what are the abilities and what are the mindsets that my people bring to our teams that we can leverage that may not be part of their resume, that may not be like written down? Like, how do we extrapolate that? Let's just talk about what are those big events that shaped you? And that like, had some impact on you in some way. And let's look at, it doesn't have to be trauma. It could be very positive things. Like I traveled to India after college, totally blew my mind and gave me a whole new sensitivity to different cultures that then I've applied to my work. Well, that's a positive experience. How do we look at the breadth of people's experiences and really decipher the assets they bring to the party, whatever party we may be at?
0: So and you grew up in the Bay Area, you've spent your professional life uh, in, in the tech community, in the entrepreneurial community, the word, the D word that always gets used with new technology is democratizing and democratization of culture of one kind or another through technology. Your book, Experiential Intelligence and the Thesis, is also flattening. Uh, Everyone has the same access, whether you went to Harvard, your local community college, or no college at all. Is that fair?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think if you look at, I mean, even you look at the the number of universities, uh, or sorry, the number of companies requiring a college degree to get your foot in the door, it's going down. Um, it's it's gone from fifty one percent in twenty seventeen to forty four percent in twenty twenty one, and so the democratization, the, the idea that our experiences, whatever they may be, can give us assets, and you don't need the gatekeeping mechanism of you know college degrees, et cetera. I mean, I know like you know for example, Google has these career certificates, hundred bucks you can take get a career certificate and you qualify for a job. That's sort of democratizing education to a certain extent. And I think that if you look at, if you start taking a broader view, experiences you can have in various ways. I mean, from, you know, traveling to YouTube videos, to projects and internships, and you can learn things very quickly and easily in today's world that's changing because the jobs that exist right now that people are hiring for probably won't exist in a couple of years. So, you know, that degree will be outdated. Uh, By the time you start working. So I I think we are sort of democratizing how we view what's needed for success. And yet, I mean, this is
0: all very well, but for better or worse, we live in an increasingly unequal society where uh, going to Harvard does make and whatever people think it does make an enormous difference, whether you went to MIT or Harvard or Stanford or you have a business or law degree from one of those universities. So um, you might have experienced all sorts of dreadful things. You might have been abused as a child. You might have been homeless. It's very hard, Soren, isn't it, to leverage that experience into success. It might enable you perhaps to get a job or, or, or to get off the streets, but it's not going to enable you to become a a startup entrepreneur or a huge success or a lawyer or doctor or engineer?
1: Well, let me kind of address a couple of things you just said. So the first is, of course, you know, you go to Harvard, you go to Stanford. I would argue that the quality of education is debatable in terms of, you know, top tier versus second tier universities and whether that difference is what's making the difference. It may be the network. It may be the alumni, and there's a lot of other factors that go in, into that. Um, at the same time, kind of hitting your other dimension here, Of, I think that what experiential intelligence and being in touch with your own experiences and how they impacted you doesn't make you successful out of the gate. It allows you to understand what might be driving you that could be getting in your way, those self-limiting mindsets and beliefs. And or the, looking at your own abilities, perhaps, that you've developed through unconventional means that allow you to then, you know, we've got a lot of successful CEOs who never went to college, for example, because they've done stuff that well, then they A lot remember. of those,
0: uh, you know, uh, Zuckerberg and Jobs and Gates all come to mind. They were all people who chose to drop out of very elite that, colleges.
1: That is That is true. That is true. Um, I'm thinking about another interview I did with a, a small business podcast and the, the interviewer was basically saying a lot of his audience never went to college, but they're small business entrepreneurs and they're just making stuff work. And, and, you know, they may not have extraordinary intellectual intelligence by an IQ standard, but they, you know, they grind it out. They have self-awareness around kind of what they, you know, what they're good about, good around and what they can do. And they apply that. And so the experiential intelligence I'm, I'm talking about is more greater self-awareness of kind of what's making you tick, your mindsets, your attitudes, beliefs, and the experiences that then shaped you that maybe you need to heal from, or maybe you just recognize, gave you the opportunity to do stuff that then if you're creative about it, you say, hey, I can apply it over here to you know, create my next venture or to get a job in this area that I never really thought about.
0: All the excitement out here, Soren, you know this as well, probably better than I do, is over AI, particularly yeah. chat GPT and a new generation of AI bots and platforms through open AI. Um, I wonder, in terms of your thesis in experiential intelligence, is this the thing that makes us human? Is this what distinguishes us? from machines, our ability to mine ourselves, to learn more about ourselves and chart, plot, math, our future? Or is what you're saying in experiential intelligence, could this actually be done by a machine? And might we in future have AIs that can help us um, mine our own experiences? I
1: love that question. I'm not sure that there is a concrete answer just yet, but I can give you some, some thoughts. Um, If you look at, and if you've played with chat GPT, it's an amazing tool. Um, And what is it going to do to the concept of intellectual intelligence? It's probably going to commoditize it. So where, how will you as an individual differentiate yourself being really intellectually smart may or may not be a differentiator in the future for an individual? Where's that difference come from? Now, I'm going to go back to the three legs of the stool. IQ. So if AI commoditizes intellectual intelligence, what's left? Emotional intelligence is left also. Now, I would argue that human beings are by nature emotional beings. Now, some of us may be more in touch with our emotions and the other emotions of other people and be able to empathize better than others. But That is a fundamental quality of humans is kind of that emotional response and connection making that we can do around that. So I still think that will be at play. And then the experiential intelligence is self-awareness potentially about how we think and then how we learn as well. So you know, learning through experience is, is how we typically learn. We can read a book, but then you kind of need to apply it to really deeply understand something. It's kind of like that 10,000 hour rule. So I think that, that you know, you, you can look at that learning process perhaps being automated, artificial intelligence can learn. But when it comes to learning and reflecting on one's own experience in relation to what our, perhaps our emotions are telling us. That seems to be a little bit more human. Now, what do you what can you do with those things is another question. And, and, and you know, that's where concepts like, you know, you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, innovation, creativity, those kinds of things, and kind of, you know, applying experience and applying intelligence and applying, you know, kind of real-time fast learning, you know, maybe a combination of AI plus human beings. Kind of eventually, and whether you can fully automate that, then maybe none of us need to exist anymore. I don't know, but uh, that's yeah, my quick I, take.
0: Yes and no. I mean, AI plus human beings doesn't mean humans won't exist anymore. It means right. that we'll be different. We can think of the the chess um, case where, with uh, uh, with 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 high quality algorithms, it was believed that. Uh, the machines would always beat humans. But actually, the real breakthrough in chess has been humans plus computers Mm -hmm. equals the best chess players. So might this be the same when it comes to human beings? That we're not going to get replaced by AI, but it will augment us. And those who exist without it won't be very good chess players in life.
1: I I think you've, I think you've articulated kind of the essence of, you know, kind of my belief around it. I mean, I, it, it seems to me that there's right now a level of creativity, human connection and relationship building, and, you know, kind of a need for that human interaction to get stuff done in today's world. And. You can probably be more effective, efficient, strategic if you're complementing that with the kind of intellectual power that artificial intelligence can give to you. Hence, kind of that commoditization of IQ is really kind of where, you know, kind of I started. And I think that that sort of is what you're talking about and kind of where I would go with that as well.
0: As I mentioned, Sauron, you're also the author of, of Leapfrogging, um, Harness the Power of Surprise for Business Breakthroughs, as well as uh, the book uh, we're talking about now, Experiential Intelligence. They're all premised on the idea that we want to get ahead, that we want to make ourselves more successful. The premise, of, I think, of your work is not, it's not for self-knowledge. There's no philosophical end in itself. It's not a, a Kierkegaardian... Journey. All this is for our own benefit, but some people might say, "Well, I don't want to be successful. I don't care. I want to be able to feed myself and pay my rent, but I will find my happiness elsewhere." How would you respond to people
1: like that? Uh, I would respond that that is perfectly legitimate. That are the definition of success. And just to be transparent, my own journey is to come to that conclusion. That we all have our own definitions of success that are equally legitimate. And I think we have, even in today's world, started to move away from perhaps all of the ways I've defined it around business success and helping big companies innovate and be, do strategy. A lot more about it is how do we live in harmony? How do we have you know create an environment that's sustainable? How do we be at peace with ourselves through greater self-awareness and presence, and be in a relationship with others in a loving, meaningful way. Those are all equally valid definitions of success and and something that I personally had to kind of go through a journey to find. And it might've been my reaction to where I started as a young kid, but like I I think that's equally valid and, and, and as important as any other definition of success.
0: Is there any other intelligence, Soren, except for experiential intelligence? Um, because if there isn't, I'm not sure there's any point in education, certainly formal classroom education. be better off just going out in the world and learning from what happens to you.
1: You know, there's a trend where that's being bantered about um, the concept of experiential learning. Um, has been around for a little while. You've got universities in the San Francisco Bay Area anchored there. Um, and I don't know if you know Minerva. University. Yeah, I know
0: the founder of Minerva. Peter Thiel, of course, pay, yeah. pe- pays. I don't know if he still does, but he did pay smart kids to leave university <laughs> and go into the world.
1: Right. And so, you know, I think the jury's out whether Minerva is going to be a viable, scalable model of education. But the principles behind it is all about experiential learning. You, you, there's no campus. It's all virtual, and you live around the world to immerse yourself in different cultures, and you get internships, kind of strategically placed internships, like Ido and Palo Alto and other places, so that you can embody the experience of what it means to live in the real world, not just have this kind of ivory tower education. And so, I, I you know, I don't know if that's going to be the scalable, viable business model of the future, but it is an example of innovation with some of the principles of experiential learning. And there's, there's, there's trends in education around experiential learning as well, and kind of grade school and and so forth. And I think that that's really how we learn as human beings. And we're now kind of coming to the realization that we've have to learn faster and faster. And it's through experience that we can do that. So we need to kind of elevate, accelerate our experiences as well.
0: And if your thesis is right, it has very profound ramifications for the professional teacher. Rather than being teachers or training them to be teachers, I think you're suggesting that the life coach replaces the teacher, or the best teachers in the future will essentially be life coaches. They'll be mining us. Maybe they'll be therapists of one kind or psychologists,
1: I think the best teachers will be designers of learning designers of experience who have a multidisciplinary view of psychology, sociology, and even neurology um, and understanding how people tick, how we grow, how we change. And we will design learning experiences to accelerate that experiential intelligence.
0: I knew we'd get back to Kierkegaard, Soren. You were named after him. So probably most highly paid people in the future will be like Soren Kierkegaard. They'll be, um, uh, be travelers, internal travelers of the soul, maybe not of their own, but
1: of other people's. I, I think um, that may be one of the more valuable, personally valuable experiences we can provide to, each, to ourselves, uh, for sure.